Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading this morning can be found on page 724 in the Church Bibles. And it's Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 11. So that's page 724. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God, See, the Sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He gathers his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Graham. Good morning, everyone, and a happy new year to you. It's very good to have you with us this morning. As Matt said, we are beginning a new series in the book of Isaiah. If you can, it'll be a great help if you can keep that reading open. It's page 724 in our church Bibles. Let me pray as we look at God's word together. Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful truths of your word that we have before us this morning. I pray now for your help Please help me as I preach for all of us as we engage with your word. By the power of your spirit, would you open our eyes that we might behold your glory. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. As we begin, I wonder, have we ever had our hearts broken? One leading commentator of the human condition once described it this way. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart, but the very next day you gave it away. Wham released that single back in 1985, but did you know that just a few weeks ago it was the Christmas number one? Now, I can't fully explain the enduring appeal of the song. It certainly isn't the dodgy 1980s haircuts and jumpers of the video. But perhaps it's at least in part because it is a song about love found and love lost. 
and in our human experience, one of the greatest joys is to be in a deep, loving relationship. And one of our greatest sorrows is to discover that that relationship is over. Isaiah 40 was written to a heartbroken people. Like all good love stories, it had begun so well. The one true God of the universe had set his love on a rather surprising individual, a man called Abraham and his family around 1800 BC. God promised to Abraham that he would bless him, that he would make his family into a great nation and that he would give them a land to call home. And then over the next 800 years, there were ups and downs along the way. But eventually, under King David, around 1000 BC, the people were in the promised land. They had become a great nation. And under King David, they were experiencing God's blessing. At that point, all looked well in the relationship between God and his people. And then it all fell apart. The people of God began to flirt with other nations. They gave their hearts away to foreign gods. And worst of all, the leaders of God's people, the the kings and the priests, the very people who should have been calling the people back to God and his word, they were at the forefront of the drift away from God's words. And over 300 years... The people of God are in a season of relentless spiritual decline. You can read about it in 1 and 2 Kings. And then along comes Isaiah around 700 BC. And in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has an awesome, terrifying vision of the Holy Lord in his temple. He cries out, woe is me. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. And yet God commissions him to preach a word to his people, it will be a word of judgment. And then by Isaiah chapter 39, Hezekiah is the king over the people, and Hezekiah gets many things right, and yet he too has a wandering heart, flirting with the other nations, this time with the Babylonians. And if you have a Bible, just look back one page to Isaiah 39 to see what happens. Verse 5. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. The pictures we've been seeing in Gaza over the last few months, shattered houses, Shattered streets, shattered lives. That is something of the picture of what is about to happen to Jerusalem and to God's people. Blessing will give way to curse. Their home, the promised land, will be lost. A once great nation will be scattered into exile, into Babylon. But worst of all, it looks as if the one true God of the universe no longer loves his people. For the people of God today, the church, our situation is, is different. 
And yet, if we are brave enough to stop and to look up and look around us at what is happening in our world, it is desperate. We live in what used to be a Christian country, and it's heartbreaking to realize that today, around 98% of the population will not go to a local church. The truth is that in this country, we are part of a spiritual decline away from God's word that has been going on for generations. And worst of all, our leaders, the very people who should be calling us back to God's word are often the ones taking us away from it. This last year, leaders of our national church have been doing just that. And it's heartbreaking to watch. And if we are brave enough to look up and around at what's happening to the church in this country, have we ever wondered, where is God? Is he even still with us? And so I don't think it takes much imagination for us to put ourselves back into the shoes of the people in Isaiah's day, heartbroken at the state of their nation, heartbroken at the state of the people of God, heartbroken at the thought that maybe the God of the universe has had enough of them. So what does God say to our heartbroken people? Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. When Handel sat down to attempt to capture something of the glory of the coming of the Messiah, he began his masterpiece here in Isaiah 40, verse 1, and he chose well. If we're new to Christian things, it's a brilliant summary of the Christian message. Comfort coming to relentlessly sinful people. Did you notice how God says, my people and your God? Isaiah is being recommissioned with a new message, and it's this. The relationship is not over. God still loves you. Over the next 15 chapters, we have some of the most glorious words ever written. Words that reveal the staggering heights of God's awesome power and the wondrous depths of his sustaining love to wandering rebellious people. Words that will constantly drive us forward to Jesus, both in his first and second coming. And can I say, as I stand here this morning, and as we begin this new series, I have mixed feelings. On one hand, I feel like a starving man who's just been welcomed into a banquet, and I can't wait to sit down and feast with you all. On the other hand, though, I can't remember feeling more inadequate as a preacher than I do this morning. How can I possibly do justice to the glory of God revealed in these chapters? The truth is, I can't. I would cover your prayers in these coming weeks. But for all of us, like a, a dry sponge where water is poured onto the sponge and the water just rolls off without sinking into the sponge, so it is possible for us to be exposed to the glory of God and for our hearts to be left unmoved 
by what we read in here. Matt mentioned the month of prayer. I'm very excited about it. Those first two weeks, we're going to be carefully, slowly praying our way through Isaiah chapter 40. I commend that moment to you, not to tick a box or out of some sense of guilt or obligation, but as a warm invitation to come and commune with our glorious God and to humble ourselves before him and to ask him mercifully to open our eyes afresh to his glory that when we read his word, the truth would sink into our hearts with comfort and with joy. Would you come and pray with us these next few weeks? I'm afraid that was all by way of introduction. <laughs> Don't worry, we're still on track time-wise. As we dive into these first 11 verses of Isaiah 40, the question for us this morning is this. What comfort is there for relentlessly sinful people? Three comforts. The first is this. The forgiveness of the Lord. Let's pick it up, verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. Think of a child who takes a tumble in the playgrounds and they're hurt, they're distressed, they're crying out. The, the parent swoops in to pick up and to reassure. That's the sense here. Judah will experience hard service. That is 70 years as slaves in a foreign country in Babylon under her exile. But that hard service will come to an end. She will return to the promised land. But much more importantly, the very reason for her exile, her sin, that too will be dealt with. It's January. It's the month when many people often make Resolutions about how they want to live this coming year. Resolutions around eating less and drinking less and, and walking more and, and being a better friend or a better spouse or a better parent or whatever it is. And as we consider our own problems with sin, it's very easy to simply say, do you know, I'm going to try harder this coming year. But the comfort of Isaiah 40 is far sweeter than a New Year's resolution. Growing up, we lived near the Forth Road Bridge across the Firth of Forth, just outside Edinburgh, and it was a toll bridge. You had to pay a fee to get across, and I remember as we used to arrive at the toll booth, there'd be a mad scramble around in the car trying to find the right coins and change to pay the person at the toll booth. But I do remember on one occasion, we arrived at the front of the queue. We rolled down the window, and the person said, do you know what? The person in front of you, they've already paid for your toll. The barrier popped up. We sailed through free of charge. It was a, a wonderful feeling. And when it comes to Judah's sin, she is not going to suddenly sort herself out as if she could somehow make a resolution and then she would never sin again. No, the people coming back from exile will be just as sinful as those who go into exile. The comfort here is that someone else will go before her who will pay for her sin. 
We don't know who yet. It's not until Isaiah 53 that we read of the suffering servant who comes to pay for sin by dying in the place of sinful people. For some of us this morning, we might feel on top of our sin as if we have sin under control in our lives. If that is how we feel this morning, please know that our sin is a debt that we could never pay. But for most of us, my guess is that we feel overwhelmed by our sin. Even perhaps over the Christmas holidays this last week, giving in to old patterns of thinking or behaving or responding that we thought we were past, but we've, we're there again. Perhaps we've dragged ourselves to our church gathering this morning, weary and heavy laden because of our sin. Perhaps we're fearful that somehow people might discover just how sinful we really are. And perhaps worst of all, we wonder if at some point the holy God of the Bible is going to look at our lives and say, enough is enough. I've had it with you this time. And yet the comfort of the gospel is that what Isaiah longed for has happened in the coming of Jesus. He has come and he has paid the price for our sin by dying on the cross for us, which means it is done, it is gone, it is paid for completely. And as we come and share communion later on, come rejoicing in this good news, the forgiveness of the Lord. But it gets even better because I used to think that the forgiveness of the Lord meant that the holy God of the Bible no longer had a problem with me, that he would somehow allow my existence to continue. That was the kind of forgiveness that I thought he offered. But it's better than that. It is that, but it's more. He also wants to be with us. Verse 3. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The Lord was upset with his people. It's as if he did abandon them, heading off into the desert to leave them to be exiled. But now, verse 3, he's coming back. Imagine Stanage Edge looking out over the Hope Valley to the hills beyond. That picture is the kind of obstacle standing in the way of a holy God coming back to a sinful people. And yet a way will be made. God will come. And 700 years later, when Mark began his gospel account of the life of Jesus, he began that account here with these words from Isaiah 40. The birth of the baby we've just been celebrating at Christmas is the fulfillment of this promise of God coming to his people, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Do we realize just how amazing God's forgiveness is? He doesn't just forgive our sin. He actually wants to be with us. And as so often happens with Isaiah, 
he looks forward beyond the first coming of Jesus to his second coming, where, verse 5, all peoples will see God's glory. Even us here in Sheffield this morning. The forgiveness of the Lord. No person, no church, no generation beyond the reach of the Lord's forgiveness. We just need to cry out to him in humble repentance and trust. And whatever happens to the church in this country in the coming years, and I don't know what will happen, but whatever happens to her, one day Christ will come back for us. And our season of exile as foreigners and strangers in this world, as 1 Peter 1 puts it, that exile will be over. Does this sound too good to be true? As we look around the state of our nation, how could this possibly happen? Well, this takes us to a second comfort. The forgiveness of the Lord will second the word of the Lord. Verse 6. All peoples are like grass, and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the fields. I'm afraid the budget didn't stretch to flowers this morning, but um, walking on the roadside this week, I came across some, uh, some grass. Um, I, I guess, I don't know, three or four months ago, this would have been green and, and lush and, and flourishing. But of course, now in the winter, it's just dry and dead, and it's, it's gone. And... Isaiah uses this picture of what happens around us in the world to describe human limitations. Verse 7, the grass withers and the flowers fall. Human powers, human authorities, human institutions, cultural trends, fads, words, seasons that... Humans experiencing, they, they come and go. They have their moments. But it is only a moment before they fade and wither. Why is this? Verse 7 continues. Because the breath of the Lord blows on them. The word for breath here in verse 7 is the same word that we find in Genesis chapter 1 to describe the Spirit of God hovering over the waters as God creates the world. God is the creator of everyone and everything. And as creator, he also has the power to decreate. For the people of God in Isaiah's day, this is good news because it means that the terrible Babylonian empire about to sweep through their country, it'll have its day, but it won't last. Like grass that flourishes and withers. But look at the contrast. Verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. God is not like us. Come back next week to see more of the contrast between him and us. But here, in particular, it's his word. It endures forever. There is a hard edge to our culture today, isn't there, in our society. There is huge pressure on us to conform to the norms and values of this 
moment. If we don't, we're crushed by our culture. But do we realize that in a hundred years' time, the things that our culture now prizes being absolute, those things will be mocked by the people to come in a hundred years' time. Just as our culture now mocks the values of those a hundred years before us. This is the way of human words and human power. But not with the word of God. God's word is never out of date. Never irrelevant. Never consigned to the dustbin of history. It spans the rise and falls of empires. It outlasts every human trend in culture. Just think how Isaiah, under the sovereign hand of God's inspiration, was able to predict so accurately 700 years before the coming of Jesus. How is that possible? Because the word of the Lord endures. And because the word of the Lord endures, what God says about my sin and about your sin is always true, done, forgiven, dealt with. And when God says to us, one day he will come back for us and all people will see his glory, that day will come. The word of the Lord. And very quickly, here's our final comfort. The arm of the Lord. The picture now is of a herald racing up to a mountain top so that the good news they have to proclaim can be heard far and wide. And the message, end of verse 9, here is your God. And what will it be like when God comes? He continues, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and rules with a mighty arm. What good news this is for beleaguered Judah. God is going to come with a mighty arm and he will defeat the enemies of God's people. The Babylonians will not stand against him. They will be freed. For us today, we look forward to the return of Christ. And when God comes, then he will come with a mighty arm. And he will defeat all the enemies that we are threatened by now. The arm of the Lord is a mighty arm. But before we finish, I want to focus on the final verse, verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Here again is the arm of the Lord, verse 10. It was a mighty arm. Now verse 11, it is an arm that carries the little lambs. In a few months' time, if you go up the Mayfield Valley, you'll see lots of little white lambs skipping around in the, string, in the spring pastures. And um, I don't mind saying that on occasion, I've been tempted to go and cuddle a little lamb. They're so, they're so cute. And if that's the picture we have of the little lambs in verse 11, then it's well, not surprising that God would pick us up and give us a cuddle. Aren't we so adorable? But in Isaiah... Sheep don't get a good press. In Isaiah, God's people were sheep, and we are sheep who are wanderers, 
who are stubborn and rebellious. And by the time we get to Isaiah chapter 53, we read this. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. The wonder of verse 11 is that the Lord will gather the very ones into his arms who will be the cause of the death of his dear son on the cross in great suffering and shame. What a comfort it is to know that we are held in the arms of the Lord. Mighty arms to protect us, but gentle arms to bear with us in our relentless wanderings. I guess most of us have had our hearts broken in one way or another. Life's like that, isn't it? But when it comes to the one true God of the universe, if we humble ourselves and cry out to him for mercy, he will never abandon us. Whatever happens to the church in our day, we can know this. Christ has come once to pay for our sin. And one glorious day, Christ will return for us to be with us forever. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for how relevant this ancient word is to us today. In our moment, help us to be a people who humble ourselves and cry out to you. And may we experience afresh the sweet comfort of your mercy and your loving, protecting arms guiding us home until we are with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.